every experience in life. Is that not true? Every experience you can find it there in the Psalms. And Psalm 8 is one of these Psalms. It's just a tremendous Psalm. This is the time of the year. July is that time of the year when you can look over the garden. And you can see the great colour of the flowers. We we sit at the table, everything's got it all organised. So we sit in such a position that we can look over the garden and we can look at the nice big yellow lilies that are growing, the roses and all sorts of things. And we can watch the birds so they don't get into too much uh, seeds or anything like that as well. So we can appreciate nature. I don't know if you actually realised it or not, but Psalm 8 is one of five nature psalms in the Bible. Psalms that speak about God's creation. And this is one of them. This is the first of them. Somebody has said that Psalm 8 is Genesis 1 set to music. I like that. That Psalm 8 is Genesis 1 set to music. Because it, psalms were sung, of course, in those days. And you get the impression from this psalm that David's eyes have been everywhere. His eyes have looked heavenward. He's even thought about children and infants. He's given some thought to the important question about us, about humanity. I believe it's a, a thoughtful psalm. It's a psalm that's really thoughtful about God, but it's also very thoughtful about humanity. And maybe that's where we're at this morning. Sometimes what we really need and sometimes it's not often preached on, is a biblical view of humanity. We hear a lot about the preaching about God, and there's that in there in the psalm as well, but I really like to know, what, what's God's word saying about my humanity? And I think Psalm 8 really is a tremendous psalm in that way, because it really kind of underlines for us our identity. Have you heard this word identity a lot lately? It's really coming to the fore. You've heard about identity fraud, where people are, are stealing your PIN numbers and all this sort of stuff from the computer. How some folk are daft enough to get an email and actually give away all their bank details after being told by the banks, Do not, we will not ask for your details. Some folk are daft enough to even give their details. And then they find, of course, that they're open to fraud and their bank balance could be reduced quite dramatically. And I just a report in the paper the other day, a, a retired policeman has collected a million, I don't have any, a million uh, details of people's banks and uh, credit card details and all the PIN numbers and what have you. It's all been collected and you're, you're being asked to go onto the website to see if your name is there. And it's some people million. are... Eh? Was it five million? Something like that. Quite astounding. And this retired policeman has spent about a hundred and odd thousand of his own money to establish this website where people can go on and reel and see if their name is there, if their details have been, have been uh, given. So identity fraud, it includes passports, it includes even university degrees. Perhaps there's folk in the country that should not be here because somebody's identity has been taken. Then of course some folk have just lost their sense of direction. Some believe that they had it all together in their life. And then some crisis has come to the home, the health, the work situation and they wonder, am I still the believer I thought I was? Because some kind of doubt can invade the mind and the heart. It seems to me that this psalm is seeking to answer this question. Who am I? Do I matter to anybody here? 
Is there anybody out there that cares? Is there anybody up there that cares? Do I really matter to anyone? And what this psalm has been described as by one author was, this is the psalm for people who feel overlooked. People who didn't get the job that they were after and felt they deserved. Or, or by a chain of events we find ourselves sidelined, no longer on demand, passed over for promotion. And it hurts. It hurts to be sidelined or passed over. And it seemed to me that we had a biblical view of humanity. And this question about who am I? Is there anybody out there cares about my situation? And it seemed that this psalm answers the question in four ways. I think the first way to answer the question it says, it's really saying to us, I am a person who can praise the Lord. Look at verse 1 and verse 9, you find the same words are mentioned in the psalm. I'm a person who can praise the Lord. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. If you look closely at your Bible, you'll notice that the first word Lord there is in capital letters. And every time you see that in your Bible, it really means that's the sacred name of Jehovah. That is Yahweh. That's the special name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. And that name Jehovah, that name Yahweh, means something really special. I am who I am. I'm the ever-present one. I will be with you. I will be what I will be. Is actually saying to us, no man can control or manipulate me, God can say. I will be true to my character from eternity to eternity. And so we find this precious, precious name being this, O oh Lord, Lord Jehovah, Lord Yahweh, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The other part of Lord really means sir or lordship or somebody in, in superior over us. You see, many religions are searching for God, but in this psalm, God's searching for us. You can see it in the psalm. God is searching for us. The other verse that speaks of praise is in verse 2. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Do you remember the words of Jesus in Matthew twenty-one sixteen in the triumphal entry coming in the donkey? And how these leaders were really angry at what was going on, the praise that was going on. And they said to Jesus, yes, he said, do you hear what these children are saying? That he, they asked him. And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise? And so really the psalm is saying, I am a person who can praise the Lord. And not only adults, but children and infants can come together and praise. You've probably heard of Oliver Cromwell. It seems that when Cromwell was dying and all the folk were gathering around his bed, they were weeping. And Oliver Cromwell, before he died, said, Is there anybody here going to praise the Lord? Is there anybody here going to praise the Lord? And one of the ways that we praise the Lord is we think of his character and his nature as we find it in the names of God that are provided in Scripture. Somebody has put this in a hymn. Here's the hymn that's been put together. Servants of God in joyful ways, sing the Lord Jehovah's praise. His glorious name let earth adore from age to age forevermore. Blessed be that name, supremely blessed, from the sun's rising to its rest. 
Above the heavens his power is known, through all eternity his goodness shown. Oh then aloud in joyful ways, sing the Lord Jehovah's praise. His saving name let all adore, from age to age, forevermore. Sing the Lord Jehovah's praise. I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but I think people need to be released again to praise the Lord. Sometimes we get so caught caught up with all that's going on in life, and maybe not caught up, but pulled down by it. And we just don't feel like praising the Lord. One of the things that happened in charismatic renewal, all these, I don't know if you agreed with the charismatic renewal, whether you were charismatic or hoovermatic or asthmatic, I don't really know. But in those days, there was a tremendous release of praise among people. People were learning afresh to, to be released to praise the Lord. It wasn't because life was rosy and everything else was, not no disasters were happening. It was because they felt released to praise the God. I'm reading this book just now on revival. And it covers 1888 to 1940. I've got to 1919 to 1924. I could not believe what I was reading. I actually knew two people in the book. Oh, that shows you how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> They were pretty young at that time. And it spoke about the, the revival in West Benhard, and that's over by Hart Hill area, Eastfield area. And that's, I was born and brought up just a mile away from there. And uh, it talked about Mrs. Weir, this girl Weir, in her teenage years, who got converted during the revival. I knew Mrs. Weir. And she was the one that um, organised the faith mission. There was a hut. And she had this faith mission uh, meetings in there. I remember as a, a teenager going to that hut and, and seeing a fellow, because we used to go to the Bathgate Baptist Church and we would float around to what was going on in the area. And then George Drysdale became the pastor of the, the Pentecostal Church in Hartville. Now the book said that George was a miner who gave his heart to the Lord during this revival. That was tremendous to see Mrs. Weir and there's George Drysdale there, people that had actually met. But what happened was in West Benhar when the revival broke out, the Christians got excited. And they were praising the Lord and, and really full of exuberance. They decided to go to a conference in Peebles. Now Peebles is not Hart Hill. Very sedate, very sedate, you know. And they went to Peebles for this faith mission conference. And they were sitting there and the preacher got up and he preached his heart out. And they just got overcome. They said, Amen! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! And the preacher was getting irritated. He stopped, he stopped preaching. He says, he says, you'll need to calm down, he says. <laughs> we can't have all this going on in the meeting. And just to calm things down, he got this quaint Scotsman to offer a prayer. Here's the prayer that he offered. Lord, we thank you for the conference this afternoon. We thank you for the converts from West Benhar, that's Hartholm, and for their enthusiasm. But Lord, it must have grieved your heart to see such as much of the steam blowing out through the whistle that should have gone through the piston. <laughs> what a way to put it, you know. But Psalm 100 tells us, tells us, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Who am I? Who are you? I'm a person who can praise the Lord. I was made for his glory. I was made to praise him. The psalm tells us something else. I'm also a creature in awe of the Creator. You'll see it there in verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. 
One uh, part of the best known creed that we have today is God is the maker of heaven and earth. Now, as you well know, the Bible is not a scientific textbook. It doesn't go into great details about how God made the heavens and the earth. It just said that God made them by the word of his mouth. And it tells us why God made the earth as well. And you can imagine David, when he had his sheep buried for the night, he would be lying back on the, the hillside, as it were, with his head on the stone, looking up into the heavens, and just being full of the sense of the greatness of God and all that was taking place there. If only David knew, of course, that um, there are thousands of millions of galaxies there. And each galaxy has thousands of millions of stars. I don't know what it is about women, but Eileen sometimes says to me, it's a full moon tonight. I don't know what to do about it, you know. <laughs> because, I mean, the moon's been there for a while. <laughs> I'm not the kind of romantic person that gets turned on with the moon. But anyway, she's always drawing my attention to what's up. But we went to, is it Call Callington Hill in Edinburgh? Uh, is it Callington Hill? It's Callington Hill. Because when on Peebles, the men fellowship went there. And we're at the, um, what do you call that thing? It comes up over the, they lift it over and you go through the telescope and look into the sky. Anyway. The what? Observatory. that's fine Andy. And we looked at the sky and we could see the moon. Oh, it's was, it was tremendous. And there's something precious about an evening sky where there's no street lights. Very, very dark. And you can look into the sky. In Australia, when we're in Australia, uh, we're visiting relations and the, the husband there showed us the southern sky, southern skies and all the things in the sky. That was very, very interesting. There's an old preacher who tried to, get the, tried to get the spirit of Psalm 8. And once a year, he would have a sermon on the developments of astronomy. And one of the members of the church was really against him on this. He said, what in the world has that got to teach us? Oh, he said, I'm not teaching you much, he says. But it just enlarges my idea of God. It just enlarges my idea of God. Somebody put it this way, your praise, says one translation, is rehearsed in the heavens. Your praise is rehearsed in the heavens. How does the hymn put it, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the works thy hand have made. I see the stars, I, I hear the mighty thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. We had a speaker came to the Fellowship of Christian Writers that I started in Scotland. And one of the speakers came to us and said, you know what we've lost? We've lost something, he says, in life. And what we've lost is a sense of wonder. And he was right. We have lost our sense of wonder. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder. I'm a person who can praise the Lord. I'm a creature in awe of the Creator. And then David brings this vast expanse of space and compares it with man in verse 4. If I'm a person who can praise the Lord, I'm a creature who stands in awe of the Creator. David is really telling us here, I am part of God's special creation. You'll see it there. I'm, I'm really God's special concern in verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you crowned him with glory and honour. And what is so helpful about verse 4 is actually telling us about the memory of God. Many times have you heard a, a sermon on the memory of God? That, that you are mindful of him. 
That's a very precious thought when we're talking about the memory. I don't know about when you last thought about the importance of remembering other people or remembering things. Did I told you the story or not about the three men who went into the memory clinic? Did I tell you the story? Into the memory clinic together and the, the person in charge said to the first one, what's three times three? And he said, 270. Went to the second one, what's three times three? And he said, Tuesday. Went to the third one, what's three times three? And he said, nine. Oh, he says, that's great. He said, how did you come to that conclusion? I just took 270 away from Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are thinking about the mindfulness of God, the memory of God. And one of the great things about the mindfulness of God, it's selective. It's selective. There are certain things God has chosen to remember, and there are certain things he's chosen to forget. What has he chosen to remember? The answer is found in Jeremiah 31 and 33, where we read these words. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their people, and they will be, I will be their God, and they will be my people. It was God saying through Jeremiah, tell my people I haven't forgotten about them. And that's the same message that's coming through here in Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of and compared with the, the vast expanse of the heavens and of space? What is man that you are mindful of? And it's such a blessing to realise that we're not forgotten. And there must be times in their lives when we really get down, we really feel difficult, difficult things have come into upon us and, and sometimes we feel the frustration just can't get any worse. And just to know that we're not forgotten. Some Christian song comes into our minds and we start to remember the word or even sing it in the kitchen. Or some word of scripture comes into our hearts and we, we remind ourselves of one of the promises of God. Or somebody gets on the phone and says, uh, just phone up to find out how you are today. Just to know that we're not forgotten. We said that God's memory is selective. There are certain things he chooses to remember, but there are certain things he chooses to forget. And what are they? You'll find again in Jeremiah 31, 34. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, with the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. What's God chosen to remember? You, me. What's God chosen to forget? Our sins. All our sins, no. Only forgiven sin. Only confessed and forgiven sin. And where that sin is confessed and where that sin is forgiven, we have this wonderful assurance. It's forgotten by God. It's cast into the sea of his forgetfulness. And up goes the sign that says, no fishing. No fishing. When God chooses to remember us, it's selective. But not only is God's memory selective, it's also comprehensive. It's concerned not just with one thought about us, but many thoughts. It's not just one area of your life, but every area. It's not just one day, it's every day. But we discover this psalm, is not, the mindfulness of God, is not only comprehensive and select, it's also productive. What is man that you are mindful of? The son of man that you care for him. That you really care for him. There are those weak moments when we say, I just couldn't care less. Sometimes we just feel so frustrated and we say, I just couldn't care less. No, but God's answer to that is, I just couldn't care more. I just couldn't care more. 
And sometimes we have to realize that God's care over us is always there when we have frustrations. And, and the, old, the older version of the Bible has said, What is man that you should visit him? And that's true of Jesus. Jesus is the visitation of God, the Emmanuel God with us. God beside us, God among us, God for us, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's memory is selective. There are things he chooses to remember, that's us. There are things he chooses to forget, and that is confessed and forgiven sin. It's comprehensive, covers every area, every day, every situation, and it's productive. Because he really cares. He really visits us. You know, our memory is selective as well. There are things that we choose to remember that are best forgotten about. And there are things that we choose to forget that need to be brought back to our minds. Some of the things that God has been saying to us in the past. You see, man, it says here in verse 5, You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you crowned him with glory and honour. Man is not a naked or trousered ape. I'm glad to know. He's not just a complex biological machine, an accidental arrangement of molecules. Man, says Bible, or mankind, that's all of us here, is the apex. It's the crown of God's creation. He was made a little lower than the heavenly beings. Here is man created in God's image. And mankind and every one of us here were more like God than anyone else. We were made for him. We've been given a spiritual personality with reason and intelligence and an appreciation of beauty and ability to choose what is right. I am part of God's special creation. Who am I? I'm a person who can praise the Lord. I'm a creature in awe of the Creator. I am part of God's special creation. And finally, the final thought in this psalm, I'm God's deputy over the rest of creation. You'll see it there in verses 68. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, and the beasts of the field, and the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. And this reminds us of a sermon I preached quite recently there about a stewardship. Do you remember? And we said there are three important truths that God wants to lay upon our hearts, and they can revolutionise your life. The first one is that God is the owner. He owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we said in that sermon that you might be what you want to, want to say, well, it's my house, it's my life, it's my money, it's my time, it's my party, and I can cry if I want to, you may say. <laughs> but we actually said was, it's not really true. God is the owner. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And maybe I can't remember I told you or not at the time where you find that um, in Pilgrim's Progress, which you may have heard of, <laughs> you have, uh, <laughs> remember Apollyon, Apollyon the, the dragon is a picture of the devil. And Christian meets the dragon with all the armour on and, and the devil says, you are mine, Apollyon the dragon says. And Christian says, I'm not yours anymore. I've been up to the hill of Calvary. And the burden has rolled off my back into the grave. I've been given a new set of cloths. I've got the scroll in my hands and I'm bound for the celestial city. I'm not yours anymore. And it's wonderful to, to actually, Bunyan is actually making this wonderful uh, proclamation through that story. You see, we're not our own, we're bought with a price. 
the price of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also said in that sermon that God is the owner, but God is also the giver. He gives us all things richly to enjoy, the Bible says. Does he not supply all your need according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus? And does God not give uh, pressed down and shaken together? And the problem with the church at Laodicea, you may remember we said, was in its lukewarmness, it thought it had everything. The scripture said they thought they were rich, acquired wealth, and needed nothing. Without realising, said Jesus, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. God's the one who's the giver. He's the one who gives us all the things that we need richly to enjoy. And we said in that sermon, if God is the owner and we are the giver, sorry, he is the giver, where does that place us? Where does that place us? And we said in that sermon, you may remember, we're stewards, we're managers. We're called upon to manage what God owns and what God has given. That's our role, that's our identity. That's what it's saying here in verses 6 to 8. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All the flocks and the herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. We are to manage what God owns and what God has given in his creation. And sometimes we don't manage awfully well in these areas, but that is my identity. And there are people who think they own what is not theirs. And they think they have resources while not being rich towards God. And they're seeking to live out of the poverty of their relationship with God. It's not a rich experience knowing God in their lives. So I can ask you this morning, have you discovered your identity? Have you found the answer to the question, who am I? Who am I? Am I important to anybody here? I'm important to anybody out there or anybody up there. And this psalm seeks to answer all these questions. You're a person who can praise the Lord. God made you for his glory. He made you for his praise. You're a creature in awe of the creator. You are part of God's special creation. And you're God's deputy over the rest of creation. In other words, you matter. You matter to God. You're significant to God. No wonder the psalm ends as it began. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's just say that together. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What a great psalm, isn't it? What a great psalm to have Psalm 8. That not only has a doctrine of God there, the Yahweh, the Jehovah God, who I am who I am, I will be who I will be, but also such a wonderful biblical presentation of humanity. Who am I? What's my identity? And we find it so clearly put here in this psalm. Let's bow in a moment's prayer then. I just wanted to share a verse that came to mind as I was preparing this message. I just want to share it with you. It's one that's so well known to you. Just receive it today. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We thank you, Lord, for your word today. We thank you for these great psalms of scripture that just speak into the experience of our lives. And we just pray that today something that's being said about our own humanity will lift our spirits up, 
will give us a real hope in our hearts and will help us to go from where we are rejoicing in our God and learning more of you. Just bless your word to us, Lord, in all the different experiences that we go through even this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.